Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, without further ado, we're going to bring on our guest for uh, today. He is uh, uh, Brooklyn-born out of East New York, uh, Peter Trunk Sr. He's got his own podcast, Dodger Baseball, A Tale of Two Cities from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. And he also currently has a web TV show called the Dodger Baseball Chronicles. So without further ado, uh, welcome Pete, uh, Peter Trunk Sr. to the podcast. What's going on, Peter? Thank you very much, Sam. I appreciate it very much, and I admire your show. I admire all, all the things that you're posting on uh, online and uh, very interested in same. And uh, I'm excited to be on your show, very excited. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and thanks, thanks to, uh, once again for joining us. So let's get all the way back to the the roots of it all. Uh, what what are your your uh, Brooklyn history as well as your your Dodgers baseball history? Oh, that's that's uh, that's interesting. I I was born, of course, in Brooklyn, way way back when, and um, my mom and dad were Brooklyn Dodger fans, and I was raised a Brooklyn Dodger fan. I was. Um, Born in um, uh, East New York, uh, lived in East New York uh, on Essex Street, right down from Highland Park. And um, like I said, we became Brooklyn Dodger fans. My mother would listen on the radio. Uh, We didn't get a TV until we moved. Uh, I moved at a very early age, as a matter of fact. I moved um, before the Bobby Thompson home run. (laughs) I, I moved at age four. Uh, about approximately 1950, November of 1950, we moved to Newark, New Jersey. My father was a school teacher, and um, he he was he teaching. Uh, he was a professor at St. John's University, and he had an opportunity to make more money as a Newark public school teacher. At the time, the Newark public schools were paying the best in the country, so we moved over. It was only a, a, a small move. You're talking 15 miles. Uh, 20 miles at the most, and we used to go back every single weekend because we lived in a four-family house we did in Brooklyn with my father's uh, siblings, uh, his brother, two of his brothers, and uh, two of his sisters. And across the street and up the block were all assorted aunts and uncles, so there was family everywhere I went as a young lad in Brooklyn. Uh, the whole uh, na- neighborhood was inundated with us. And uh, that's that's what uh, we drove back to every weekend. We, you know, Sunday dinner, et cetera, what like that. And uh, my dad and I, my, actually, my my uncle took me to Ebbets Field a few times. The first time I went to Ebbets Field, I was a little bit too young to even remember. Um, but I do remember one thing about my first trip to Ebbets Field, if I may digress. Uh, in the bottom of the first inning sure. of the first game I went to, Duke Snyder hit a home run. And that solidified my love for number four, the center fielder, the Duke of Flatbush. And I was a fan for the rest of my life. Uh, um, after after we moved from Brooklyn uh, to Newark, uh, I still went to Ebbets Field every now and then, not as often as I would like to, but I remember going there. 
And then uh, the Dodgers in 1956 and 57, the penultimate year of the Brooklyn Club and the final year of the Brooklyn Club, they played games at Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City, which my father brought me to there. So I've seen the Dodgers many times. But, you know, it's funny. uh, Just a few years ago, 2014 and 2015, I finally got to see my Dodgers again in uh, white home jerseys out in Dodger Stadium in uh, L.A. And I know people are now horrified listening to me because they figure that I would have hated the Dodgers when they moved, but you wouldn't hate (laughs) your son or your daughter if they moved 3,000 miles away. Uh, I just figure that the – my Dodgers are on a very extended road trip. I still root for them. <laughs> that's about. That's about it, it. It is rare. You, you, you have seen more Giants fans stick with it, and I, I feel as if it was just it. it uh, a lot of Dodger fans took it much more personally than the Giants fans did, and I think also Willie Mays had something to do with it. Um, do you think that one of the reasons why you stuck with your Dodgers was because of how young you are? You know, I feel as if, like, the, the Dodgers leaving, I, I sometimes think, was the first time that, that the fantasy of, of childhood was wiped away. But do you think maybe you were too young for that to have affected you the same way as some other uh, uh, young folk of the Dodgers as well as teenagers? That's, a, that's, a, uh, that's an interesting question. I was 11 years old when the, when the Dodgers moved. Um, I was born in 46. They moved in 40, uh, 57, the winter of 57, 58. And, you know, when they first moved, and this was by hook by crook by Walter O'Malley, he kept as many Dodgers, Brooklyn Dodgers, as he could. Uh, when he moved out there, the, the whole team was inundated with Brooklyn Dodgers. In fact, when the Dodgers won the World Series in 1959, their second season out in L.A., they had names like Gil Hodges, Duke Snyder. Uh, Pee Wee Reese was a coach by then, but Carl Ferrillo, certainly. Uh, Koufax Drysdale. I mean, I could name a slew of players that were from Ebbets Field transplanted out into the Los Angeles Coliseum. So it was very difficult for me uh, to turn my back, so to speak, on uh, – on those uh, players, and I continued to root for them. And um, even in 63, Johnny Padres beat the Yankees. When the Dodgers beat the Yankees uh, four in a row, their winning pitchers were uh, Padres, Koufax, and Drysdale, guys from Brooklyn. So I had no problem uh, following them. I understand the consternation and the outright hatred, if you will, of some of the old Brooklyn fans for O'Malley. I I um I consider myself sharing in that consternation and hatred of O'Malley. But uh I didn't I never I personally never took it out on the players themselves on the roster. When when you root for a team, uh you root for the laundry. And by that I mean you root you root for you're rooting for the uniform and 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 such, uh, guys come and go. Players come and go. Uh, they get traded. They retire. 
they get DFA'd, they they get injured, they're whatever, and and new guys take their place. But they always have that they always have that jersey on that says Dodgers in script across the chest, and it's just mesmerizing to me, and it's a little bit magical. I know that sounds silly, but it is. And um, when I see it on TV, it still uh, uh, exhilarates me. And uh, and uh, there's a little there's a little ding dong that goes off in my heart and in my brain when I see that. And like I said, I know that sounds silly, but it's true. I'm telling you the truth. And uh, I just I personally couldn't turn my back on the club. I could definitely turn my back on the on on the owner. Uh, O'Malley. I've done shows, both radio and web TV shows, castigating uh, Walter O'Malley to the nth degree. And we're, we're not finished either. We're only on volume one or two or three. We have plenty of shows to go. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, that that's where my head is at and my heart. Well, speaking of the laundry, you know, they uh, they basically had the exact same uniform, almost, uh, give or take, since 1938, which is uh, more or less when my my television show, uh, from a conceptual standpoint, would begin. And so I completely understand what you're saying. They, you know, they that's basically when, uh, that that is when um, Larry McPhail came aboard and kind of had an idea of branding and uh, more than arguably any executive had before uh, him or maybe even since really he's still one of the the greatest showmen uh, of in baseball history um interesting that you mentioned duke snyder to go back to brooklyn uh i i i'm curious if you remember where he hit that home run into bedford avenue of course of course now <laughs> It's, um, it, you know, I, I, I always like to say when people ask me, like, what is Bedford and Sullivan? I say, well, it's where the, the, uh, the home runs by Duke Snyder would go. And, uh, it, it's, it's just, uh, it's such an image that, you know, even though I wasn't there personally, I can see the ball traveling over the wall and see all the kids uh, going for it. And, and that's where, you know, the cinematic element of, of, what we're doing uh, comes into play. And, um, you know, you, you were talking about your family, and, and it seemed like, you know, Brooklyn, the neighborhoods, uh, you know, whether they were actually your family or whether they were just your friends from down, down the, uh, the streets, uh, it felt like family. Um, obviously, a lot of reasons why that was the case was because of, of how many different members of the family were actually living uh, amongst you. Um, I was wondering Brooklyn, what your, yeah. your ethnic background is. I'm of German descent. Um, uh, my father was born in Brooklyn also. His dad, my grandfather, came over from uh, Europe. Um, we're, we're, we're not Jewish. We, we, we didn't escape the, the horrible, horrible Holocaust, but... Uh, my my grandpop did come over from germany and um uh you know when when you mentioned brooklyn i understand exactly where you're coming from when you say you weren't necessarily blood brooklyn but you were still family and that's true that's that's very true 
But I did, in fact, have blood family living not only in my house, uh, but on my block. And they were truly uncles and aunts and cousins. And um, it, 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 was, it, was, it, was quite a, it was quite a deal. I, I tell you, not, I don't know how many people had that experience, but I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have traded that experience for all the tea in China. That was a great, great experience. All of us uh, Brooklyn Dodger fans, and, you know, I remember so vividly um, my uncles and my father in the kitchen. The men used to hang in the kitchen while the women, the wives, my aunts and everything, would be in the uh, living room. And, and, and I, would, I would sneak in and hang in the kitchen, and I would listen to all the all the uh, arguments and the, the you know, the, the more Schaefer beers they consumed, the louder the arguments got. But <laughs> I remember, one of the things I remember that I think is, is priceless is the way they pronounced uh, the Dodgers' names. Like, Duke Snyder was never Duke Snyder in my house. It was Schneider. It was S. C H N A D A H Schneider, and uh, it goes on from there. I mean, I I could go I could go back. This I I can't I can't say that my family said this, but to give you a, a good idea, there was a Dodger at one point. His name was Wait Hoyt, and he got hurt, and. Whoa, one of my uncles would have said, uh, instead of Hoyt Hurt, the headline in the in the Daily Mirror or in the Brooklyn Eagle was Hoyt Hurt, and they would have said Hurt Hoyt. <laughs> That's Brooklynese. You got to think about that. Let that sink in a little bit. That's called Brooklynese, and uh, I lived with that uh, for years and years because even though we moved when I was quite young we we like i said i don't mean to be redundant but we went back all the time constantly we knew no one in brooklyn we knew everyone i mean in newark we we knew everyone in brooklyn so we used to go there all the time and we'd get invites and uh we'd go for lunch and then stay until dinner and come back late at night i would fall asleep in the car so we were always in brooklyn and um i remember that vividly it was just it was quite a time, I'll tell you. Well, of course, one of our favorite guests, uh, Carl Erskine, can speak to the uh, the Brooklynese because his nickname, excuse me, his nickname that carried over back to Anderson, Indiana, was Oisk, and it, and it was did. you know right. Oiskine, Carl Oiskine. Right. So, uh, Erskine I completely uh, hear exactly Oisk from Fort. Fort Worth, Fort Worth. I can't, I can't even do it right. <laughs> um, so, so, uh, how did you get into podcasting about them? When, when did you first uh, uh, explore the online scene of, of uh, you know, God's when I Denise? first got online, oh, that's a that's a good question too, and it's it's very simple, and I'm sure many of our listeners did exactly the same. 
And that was when I finally got a, a little bit proficient at dealing with the Internet and getting online, I would search Brooklyn Dodgers. I would put that up in the search, uh, type it up in the search. And there were myriads of places where you could talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers. One of the first ones that I got involved in was a place called uh, Baseball Fever. Um, and I, I joined Baseball Fever. They had a section for just Brooklyn Dodgers. And I would post photographs and memories. And other guys who were regulars there would pop in and, and uh, you know, concentrate on some of my stuff. I thought it was unique and probably was. And uh, they commented heavily, and we became uh, friendly and, uh, you know, started to message each other, et cetera, et cetera. And I met a whole bunch of guys on Baseball Fever. In fact, one of the co-hosts of my web TV show, Dodger Baseball Chronicles, is Robert Cole. And Robert Cole uh, I met on Baseball Fever. And the show that I had before Dodger Baseball Chronicles, the radio show, if you will, was called uh, Dodger Baseball, A Tale of Two Cities from Brooklyn to Los Angeles. Um, I met, um, the, the reason I got that is because I met Ralph Zig Tycho. And Ralph Zig Tycho was a pioneer. In other words, he's the one that started uh, the the baseball, the old-time baseball blogs, which for me turned into a vlog with a V. Um, He stayed with the blogs. He's still still doing his radio uh, gig. And I did many, many shows, first as a guest, and then Ralph insisted I have my own show. And I hooked up with Ron Rabinovitz, who was – who is, not was, is a friend of the Jackie Robinson family. He was a friend of Jackie Robinson, which is a very fascinating story. He was on um, Larry King Live telling that story. He's written a book. They made a Broadway play, an off-Broadway play about him. He's my other co-host. So I'm sit- as Red Barber would say, I'm sitting in tall cotton. Uh, I got Robert Cole and Ron Rabinovitz <laughs> as my co-hosts, and um, so that's that's been a trip. That's been extremely interesting, and um, it, it makes me smile just talking about it right now because I'm the luckiest man in the world. Here I am at 72, and instead of sitting around uh, staring at the walls or uh, watching old movies on TV. Uh, I, I actually have a passion. Uh, besides, I, I model trains. I, I, I guess the audience would recognize them as electric trains. Um, I model trains, uh, and, and I have this Dodger vlog, the TV show, which we do. And um, it, it, it's, it's really, really uh, a fulfilling uh, lifestyle. Uh, I'm very, very happy, very, very glad uh, that I fell into this. And I did. And I did. If it wasn't for those other guys 
I probably never would have taken the wherewithal, would have had the wherewithal, or taken the bull by the horns and done it myself. But uh, here I am. So, you know, I'm thankful, fortunate. What's fascinating to me is that, you know, the Dodgers left, the Giants and Dodgers left 28 years before I was born. And for my generation who are into this sort of thing, it, it feels like a, a dream, you know, that that it, it's remarkable. You know, obviously it happened, but it, it, it for us, you know, we're we're basically only able to to hear the memories of everybody and, and kind of live vicariously through them. Um, it it the seems things, that well, yeah, you know, you're right. Despite, you're right. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I, sorry, I didn't Peter. mean to interrupt you, but one of the things that fascinates me is, in fact, just what you covered right there in that one minute, the number, the vast number of young people, uh, young, by young people I mean people that, were, that are too young to have gone to Ebbets Field, to have witnessed the Brooklyn Dodgers in person, um, people uh, that, you know, maybe they were in their 30s or 40s or 50s, and, and they still have a passion for the, the bums, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And it, it not only fascinates me, it, it, it makes me very happy that uh, there is a continuing uh, love and interest for the Brooklyn Dodgers. The only thing that, that doesn't fascinate me, well, it might fascinate me in a, in a negative way, is the growing number of people that buy into the revisionist history of Walter O'Malley and Robert Moses. I, um, we've done so many shows and done so many interviews and done so many, um, if you want to call them editorials, on all of these Brooklyn sites about how it was O'Malley that moved the Dodgers and that he lied over and over and over, constantly, constantly lying, holding up that button with a smile on his face, keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn. This was, this was a deal that was made uh, long before we peons found out that it was official. And um, for, for people to read that and to listen to those interviews and make a pithy comment, a three-word comment, it was Moses' fault. You know, that, that, that's not cool. That, that proves to me, number one, they didn't read the interview or, or, or watch the uh, TV blurb, the vlog, and they read one or two books that were written by people that were um, subsidized by Peter O'Malley and the O'Malley family to get Walter O'Malley inducted into the Hall of Fame. There's no way that Walter O'Malley was a visionary. He was a capitalist, sure, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with making money. But he was making money, nice money, in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Dodgers were the only team in history to draw over a million fans, which was the watermark back then, the watermark for very, very good attendance, one million. 
the Dodgers were the only team to draw one million in their final season. And um, it's 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 a disgrace that they moved. And uh, was was Robert Rose's a prince? Was he a saint? No, no, he wasn't. But in order, for, for it, people keep on uh, posting on the internet that Moses offered O'Malley the Shea Stadium site by um, by uh, the World's Fair, and that's that's true, but it's not true. Let me explain briefly. It's true that he offered him that. It was only after O'Malley asked him for it. And my friend Claire Elizabeth Hall has the letter, has the written proof, with, and it's dated that Walter O'Malley actually was the one that came up with the idea of Queens, the Shea Stadium site. And when Robert Moses indicated that he was all for it, all of a sudden Walter said, I never said that, I never did that, I never wanted that. And it's in writing that he did, in fact. Hmm. The whole thing is a sham, and the revisionist yeah, I, history... I never knew that, too. The, the, the revisionist history of blaming Robert Moses is a needle in my side and has been for years and will continue to be. And um, we do, when I say we, uh, there are certain people... Uh, the people that are pushing for Gil Hodges to get into the Hall of Fame, basically, and I, I mentioned Claire Elizabeth Hall and Robert Cole. We are, uh, uh, I could name a couple of others, but I'll leave their names out of this interview, uh, that know the truth, that we know that it was Walter O'Malley. And that Robert Moses, yeah, he blocked, he blocked the Barclays Center. Well, how come he couldn't give him what he wanted at the Barclays Center? Well, there's a little thing called eminent domain. And if our listeners look up eminent domain, it takes them like 10 seconds. Google eminent no domain. You, Robert Moses' hands were tied. Legally, he couldn't give Walter O'Malley that land. Now, what L.A. did, they said, hey, get in this helicopter. We're going to take you over a place called Chavez Ravine. Don't worry about the people living there. We can clear them out. This is all yours for nothing. All you have to do is build your stadium. And, uh, well, I'll get off my soapbox now. But let me put it like this. It was 99.9% Walter O'Malley's fault, not Robert Moses. Right. I'm I'm off my soapbox. We can talk about Walter O'Malley. And Walter O'Malley could have gone – and purchase the land uh, at Barclays Center. He could have figured that out, but, but Robert Moses, who, of course, uh, I, I don't think uh, was empathetic to sports fans in general because he wasn't really no, he one. Wasn't. He himself. was not a baseball fan. But, no. Right, right. So he, and, and, and it seemed as if, you know, some people say that he seemed to want to, uh, for a city that he was in charge of designing, he wanted to get people out of here as quickly as possible. Uh, when it comes to the highway system. Um, yes. But but I, I think you're absolutely right. And I did not know until just now that uh, what you mentioned about Walter O'Malley being the one to mention the, the Queen site. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's the one. 
He's the one. Claire Elizabeth Hall has the letter. Yeah, and written I, I will have to take a look. I, I also I was I was lucky to be at the um, the Brooklyn uh, Historical Society when they had a Dodgers uh, 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 exhibit in there, and okay. I was the only one that Tuesday. I was the only one that Tuesday in, in on an afternoon uh, in the place, and I was able to take. Loads of photos throughout the the uh, Brooklyn Dodgers Historical Society, including every single page of Walter O'Malley and Robert Moses's correspondence together. I'll have to go back and look to see whether the Shea Stadium uh, page was included, because this is going back all the way to about 1948, maybe even earlier than that. And by the time I got upstairs and I was taking a photo of a map of Brooklyn, somebody told me, oh, you're not allowed to take photos. And I was like, that's great. I got what I wanted. <laughs> you know, put, put my camera away. And, Lucky you know, you. this was with a, an HD, this was with an HD <laughs> DSLR. So I, I yep. know that every single letter, every single type uh, letter uh, by Walter O'Malley and Robert Moses is crystal clear. Um, I have, okay. you know, digital copies that I, I really should, the, I believe might even be backed up uh, uh, online. We're going to lose our, lose our live audience uh, shortly, Peter, but uh, we are welcome to, to stay uh, through the, the archive, but it, before we lose the live audience, I just wanted to tell you uh, how thankful I am that you were able to come on today, and uh, I appreciate this conversation immensely. Well, I am just as thankful, if not more, for you inviting me, and I'm sorry the first two or three times you invited me we had a conflict, and I couldn't do it. So I'm glad I finally got a chance to do it. Before we leave the live air, I'd like everybody to um, check out my uh, Baseball Dodger Chronicles. It's on uh, YouTube. We have some shows there. Some shows we're not allowed to show from that venue because they were on TLB TV before that. There was another uh, thing that we, we tried out. And we have two shows on that. But they're also on YouTube. If you put in TLB TV, Peter Trunk Sr., you'll see them. Um, and and we have a Facebook page, uh, Dodger, uh, uh, Dodger Baseball uh, Chronicles, that I'd like everyone to check out and perhaps join, consider joining. Absolutely, and we appreciate you letting everybody know about all that. I'm, I'm making sure that I, I got the YouTube one queued up because my life is way too busy, and that's all because of my own accord, but I want to make sure that I, I get that all queued up to uh, give you the, the due process that you were giving me. Um, and yeah, uh, there we go. I, Peter Trunk Sr., excellent. Um, so... You know, Peter, I'll, I'll leave you with this in terms of, of Jersey. I, I wanted to kind of speak to the Brooklyn roots of Jersey. It, it, it seems like, um, you know, that in Staten Island, it, you know, more than Long Island, it, it seemed like a lot of Brooklyn folk went. And, and maybe I'm incorrect, but would you say that, that that's the case? That, that uh, Or do you think it's pretty well even healed in terms of where a lot of Brooklyn folk moved after well, uh, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I know a lot. I know a lot of Brooklyn people moved to Florida, um, but 
I'm convinced that many, many Brooklyn people moved to New Jersey, and I'll tell you why. I live in New Jersey uh, for many, many years, and when I wear my Brooklyn cap or I wear my Brooklyn uh, jerseys around town or in a mall or in the, uh, you know, going shopping or wherever I happen to be, even on vacation down the shore here in New Jersey, I get many, 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 many social intercourses with other fellows that come over and say, hey, I used to go to Ebbets Field. My favorite player was Carl Farillo and blah, 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 blah. And we wind up talking for 15, 20 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a smattering or more of uh, old Brooklyn, uh, ex-Brooklynites um, in New Jersey, definitely. Yeah, you know, I've uh, as a Lyft driver, I've driven New Jersey more than uh, I, I ever expected I would, um, and I, I've been very impressed with how it kind of flies under the radar. You know, New York takes uh, all the love, New York takes all the press, if you will, and and New Jersey is yeah. kind of just able to to be as this pleasant place to live, even though it gets a lot of flack. Same with yeah, Philadelphia. The of New York. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, I said same with Philadelphia, actually. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, I'm unaware of that. I'm unaware. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, um, you know, so I, I, I think that both of them uh, are, are really pleasant places to live. You know, and Philadelphia is kind of a quieter, uh, lower-key New York, even though they wouldn't want you to describe it as such. Exactly. Exactly. I know people from Philly. Uh, my train club is down in Merchantville, New Jersey, which is closer to Philly than it is to where I live. And, uh, yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. Um, so, yeah, well, to, to wrap it up, uh, I, you know, we always like to kind of uh, finish with a, a last word. Uh, you know, we could go ad nauseum about the Brooklyn Dodgers and, um, I, I, I'm wondering what would you want the listeners to, to know from your perspective about the, uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers before we, uh, we leave for the day? Well, I'd like you to know two things. The, the first thing I'd like you to know is that uh, Ebbets Field, uh, the closest thing you're ever going to uh, experience of uh, Ebbets Field if you if you didn't already, <clears throat> is to go to Fenway Park. Fenway Park in Boston is the direct mirror opposite of uh, Ebbets Field. Uh, a very short wall, a very short uh, foul line with a very high wall. Uh, Fenway is in left, and Ebbets was in right, but it's the same type of deal. Um, 35,000 or so seats, no parking whatsoever. They have a B on their cap. Their fans talk with a funny accent. And they have extreme highs and extreme lows in their history. I find them to be the modern uh, Brooklyn Dodgers and Ebbets Field. Uh, that you'll have to chew on that for a while. But I think you'll come out agreeing with me. The other thing is, is my pet peeve, and I mentioned it 10 minutes ago, 
and I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but it is important, and that is the revisionist history. Don't read one or two books that blame the move on Robert Moses because that's not true. It was uh, Walter O'Malley gig. The whole thing was Walter O'Malley. He lied and lied and lied. And when he was done lying, he lied some more. And um, those are the two things I'd like you to, you know, if, if you never went to Ebbets Field, you, you're not going to be able to go to Ebbets Field anymore unless there's an afterlife and Ebbets Field is up in heaven. But you can go to something that's very close to Ebbets Field, and that is Fenway Park. And if you haven't been to Fenway Park, I advise you to go and check it out. Um, a friend of mine, Bernie Rose, just did that, and he said, you know, Peter, you're right. It reminded me of Ebbets Field. He went He went for two games, the Dodgers uh, – uh, against the Red Sox uh, just just this past week, um, and and that's about it. Uh, you know, I don't want to shamelessly uh, keep uh, humping my um, Facebook page and my and my web TV show, but you know, I I just like the opportunity to come on here and talk about the, my love for the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Dodgers in general. And uh, I thank you, uh, Mr. Maxwell, for having me. Absolutely. And we love shameless plugs on here. So if you want to wrap up with the shameless plug, please, just one more time, let everybody know where they can find you. Okay. You can find me at um, Brooklyn Dodger uh, – I'm sorry, uh, Dodger Baseball Chronicles. That's both a Facebook page – and it's a um, YouTube channel. And um, just, you know, I post, not unlike you, uh, I post on most of the, if not all, the Brooklyn Dodger sites, all the Dodger sites. Uh, whenever I release a show, I release it on those sites. It gets great feedback, by the way, which I'm very happy about. And um, that, that's about it. Uh, Dodger Baseball Chronicles. Excellent. Peter, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed it. It was nice. It was very, very enjoyable. Thank you. And, you know, since I will be back to driving lists in New Jersey soon, we'll try to have this conversation in person sometime. <laughs> there you go. Sounds good. There you go. Uh, thanks, Peter, and thank you all for listening to the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast. We'll uh, catch you next time. Take care.